You are listening to the March Mad Men podcast, the show designed to challenge your assumptions about horror movies, make you think, and drive you to drink. This season is a tournament of 64 slasher films, paired off two by two, round after round, until a single slasher will stand triumphant, ready to accept its crown as the greatest of all time. I'm John Evans, and I am joined tonight by two hardcore co-hosts. First, the writer of such films as The Worthy and Devil's Pass, our in-house and indefatigable Halloween H2O apologist, Vikram Wheat. And with Rich Eckersley on assignment, as they say, we have a special guest in the house once again. It's writer, director, producer, editor, all-around filmmaking dude, Michael T. Kuchak. Mike, welcome back to the show, bud. So glad you could fill Rich's shoes tonight. Cast some votes with us. It's been a little while. Hey, man. How goes it? With the how goes it with the not one, not two, but three horror movies that you have in the works? Uh, the kind of fastball shortened version is we have two effects shots yet to go on Death Metal. Like that's it. As soon as we finish those two effect shots, then we're going to uh, wrap up on audio and color, both of which are pretty much done. They just need the drop-ins of the effects. And then uh, we should add, we're actually pushing really hard to have a completed watchable movie by next week. The idea being that uh, then we will rent a stu- uh, theater in L.A. so I can watch down the final version. And that's going to be the Speak Now or Forever Hold Your Peace version. No more notes, no more anything. We're going to release this one. So very, 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 very close. But it is, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's the exhilaration and also the, the semi-frustration of watching a load bar sit at 99% for about a month. (laughs) (laughs) But but we're very, after this bizarrely long journey on this movie, I'm very, very excited. Um, It's like the, uh, it's like the roller coaster going slowly, slowly up the hill and you're about to take the plunge, but you're just not to the top yet. Yeah. Um, in terms of In the Shadows, formerly known as Last Call, uh, we're actually closing in on uh, signings with a sales agent and, who intends to take the project to Con to do our sales and uh, our territories. And uh, we're close enough on that that I spent the last weekend working on the new cut of the trailer. And we just got notes in from the sales agent today. On the trailer, so uh, tomorrow I'm probably going to be recutting the trailer for Con. So that's in the shadow and uh, in the shadows. And cursed, we're very close. Is another one where it's you know we're on the one yard line of all these projects and various stages. Uh, cursed, we're very close with signing with distribution. Our lawyers just talked yesterday. We we have five deal points that we have to iron out, but after that we're. Um, basically going going to cash flow financing and i'm in a place where at, at any moment the bat signal can go into the sky and i'm going to canada to make the movie so uh it's <laughs> death metal is almost ready to release uh in the shadows is almost ready to do sales uh cursed is almost ready to go into production or even pre-production, I should say. Uh, but in the meanwhile, I'm in this weird limbo. I'm like Schrodinger's filmmaker. 
And don't get me wrong. I, I mean, these aren't complaints. It's just, you know, this is the process of filmmaking. So it's, you know, especially if you're doing like, you know, three different films, uh, three radically different stages of the filmmaking life cycle. So uh, at, the, at the same time. So, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm writing the next script right now. So it's if I'm not watching slasher movies this and, or sleeping, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> not a bad life. Anyway. Yeah. I, no complaints. It's just keeping busy. Cool. Well, we're glad that uh, you're not on a set in Canada, so you could uh, join us tonight and uh, talk about this stuff. What are you drinking tonight, may I ask? This is uh, a tall, tall boy of absolute fluoride ridiculousness. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Smirnoff Ice Smash. It's 24 ounces of malt beverage Sweet. flavored with trop- tropicalness. And um, I'm drinking this really because I've never had it before. I was in the store earlier on today, and uh, I thought, I'm going to buy some of these ridiculous tall boys and see what they're like. Because the last time I was on this podcast with you, uh, as our listeners who took a gander at that episode will note, we had technical difficulties beyond our control. We're like about an hour in the middle was missing. And I listened to it, and I was somewhat embarrassed by the fact that there's like a, a weird hard cut about halfway through the episode. And suddenly we come back and I'm like slurring, ridiculous, <laughs> awful, drunk Irish Mike. <laughs> and ordinarily the process is far more subtle. It's by, it's, it's by inches that the battle is lost against my liver. Right. Ordinarily you, you get accustomed to it. You boil the frog slowly in the whiskey. Right. <laughs> but, but in this case, I, I was faced with uh, one of my more significant personality flaws in a very stark manner. I'm like, God, what the fuck happened? Oh, I was drinking during that. I was drinking vodka for an hour, and that's what happens. And like, like I went from cogent to Kuchak real fast. <laughs> well, that's a that's a memoir title if ever I've heard one. <laughs> yeah, From indeed. Cogent to Kuchak. <laughs> <laughs> I actually already have the uh, title of my memoir already picked out. Uh, I, feces not included. But I... <laughs> well, we tend to break these episodes into two pieces anyway. So, yeah. like, a, a lot of listeners just turn on the new March Mad Men and we're already drunk. So, don't feel too bad. And I think that must have been how drunk I was, too, because I normally, I don't know what happened. I guess, like, we were coming and going a few times. We had breaks, and I guess for one of them, I just didn't turn the recording back on and didn't even notice. Yeah, you guys drink beer. I I was drinking vodka. So (laughs) with that, what what I decided to do was to kind of split the difference and drink this 24-ounce malt liquor Tallboy Ice Smash Peach and Mango uh, and uh, hold on a second. All right, let, let's let's open oh, yeah. it up. Ready? All right, listen closely. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh that was good. <laughs> that, doesn't that sound like a a, a meaty pull? And here we go. <laughs> I think that's our first on mic sip. That's great. <laughs> that is. Um, that is. That tastes exactly like. Smirnoff Ice Smash Peach and Mango flavored. <laughs> <laughs> so natural and organic. Like the can is the log line. 
Well, ah, here, hold on, hold on. As any fine taster connoisseur will tell you, it's really the second guzzle that you really get the Pequant <laughs> notes. How's the mouth feel there, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> How's my mouth feel? <laughs> is it still attached? <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good show. Vic, what are you sipping on over there, man? I've been saving, I've been staring at it and salivating, waiting for the chance. I have a Boulevard sixth glass quad uh, that I I haven't had in many moons. And I saw it at BevMo today with my kid because, yes, I took my kid to BevMo and I'm cool with that. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to pop this guy on mic here. Let's see. Hopefully I can't possibly sound as good as Mike's, but uh, I'll do my best. That was that was good. No, sound like Foley. What the fuck, man? Yeah, great. and in multi stages too. I, I I thought it went off like a couple of times, and then oh no, wait for it. So Vic, uh, let us know what's new in your uh, neck of the backwoods, man. John, I have been embracing the ranch life. We've been uh, uh, planting my garden. And we just got some new fruit trees. Uh, I have, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this in the podcast before, we have four chickens that provide us with uh, uh, really more eggs than any human being could possibly eat. And I, it's just ridiculous. And, uh, and I have cut the heads off of two rattlesnakes uh, in the last week. So, you know, just getting that horror vibe in as the, as the rattlesnakes threaten me. It's pretty exciting. Damn, dude. Yeah, you are you are living survival horror out there, um, but with free eggs, so that makes it worthwhile. That's right, John. I'm I'm on my way to being the antagonist in a wrong turn film. <laughs> Either that, or the the survivor to whom the uh, the helpless city folk run when uh, the zombie apocalypse collapses everything. <laughs> That's true, but I feel like that guy dies. Uh, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like the antagonist in a wrong turn movie always always make it to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> He'll cut the head off rattlesnake. Cut the head off you too, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, uh, yeah, we know where to flee when uh, when the nightmare begins. Up to Rattlesnake Ranch. Our friend Vic has got plenty of high alcohol beverages for us all. Um, no, we'll, we'll bring some, don't worry. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. that's good. It's contingent on being accepted onto rattlesnake ranch is you have to present me with your, your alcoholic, uh, uh, gift. Yes. Have you eaten the rattlesnakes that you've killed? I have not eaten these rattlesnakes. These are mostly pretty young, but I have eaten rattlesnake in the past in kebab form. And I, I quite enjoyed it actually. Yeah. That's why I ask. It's good eating. Yeah. Nice. Well, there's a tidbit for y'all, listeners. And as our listeners know, with every matchup, we make the case for and against each film. Three votes are cast, one movie bites the dust, and the other lives to slay another day. Let's kick it off tonight with a matchup from our Dark Horse division, where we've uh, seeded slasher films that defy easy characterization in some way, but still ultimately deliver the goods for the subgenre. And tonight we have a number three seed, which means it's a pretty heavy favorite in the Dark Horse division. That would be Terrifier going up against Malignant. And I'm actually doing the intro for uh, both of these films. 
So I'm going to open my uh, beer right now, get my pipes nice and lubricated. And I am drinking the uh, Bunny with a Chainsaw. It's kind of a podcast favorite. It's a paperback brewing uh, IPA. It's it's 8.2% alcohol, so it's going to get the job done. Malignant is the 14 seed, by the way. So it's uh, it's got some work to do if it's going to survive this matchup. All right, I'm taking a sip. Mm. Game on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifier. Released in 2016, Terrifier was written and directed by Damien Leon. He also edited and produced. He's a regular Michael T. Kuchek. The film ah. stars <laughs> Jenna Cannell, Samantha Scafidi, and David Howard Thornton in the iconic role of Art the Clown. Logline is as follows. On Halloween night, Tara Hayes finds herself the obsession of a sadistic murderer known as Art the Clown. That's pretty much all there is to it. Uh, Art the Clown originates in Damien Leon's short films, which were repurposed and included in his 2013 feature debut, the anthology film All Hallows' Eve. It's a more uneven, less convincing film, but that one does lay a lot of the groundwork for Art and his sadistic M.O., Though producer Falcone provided a chunk of change, this Terrifier feature was apparently at least partially funded via Leone's uh, Indiegogo campaign, which I thought was interesting. Cody Hammond of Arrow in the Head awarded the film a score of 8 out of 10, calling it a thrilling, brutal, gory 80s throwback that he recommends, especially if you have a fondness for the same decade of films that this movie obviously holds in high regard. Another reviewer said, it's a surprisingly nice-looking film for a movie about a clown chopping people into pieces. Many critics targeted the film's lack of character development as a flaw, a critique that Leon has apparently taken seriously in his approach to the sequel, which was also partially funded by Indiegogo and should be out in fall 2022. I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, Terrifier is a movie that sets out to be called Sick and Twisted, and I think it achieves that goal. This movie is a merciless assault on the senses. There's not a shred of hope or human decency to be found in this film's universe. On the spectrum of the most disturbing horror movies ever made, this is far closer to a Serbian tale than Happy Death Day or Paranormal Activity 3. Yes, it has a gleefully grungy, extreme grindhouse vibe that kind of feels like a cousin to trauma movies, so you're invited to not take the film with grave seriousness, because it's not taking itself all that seriously, but nor is it fun unless you're Art the Clown, perhaps, and dear God, do I hope you're not. He may be the most cruelly sadistic killer I can remember ever being put to screen. There is not one iota of humanity, let alone compassion or connection to other living things in this character. This dude is pure evil. By the way, there is a great scene in the movie with a mother and child of sorts that kind of tests this notion, but I can't get into it on a non-spoiler show. And yet at the same time, this is a slasher who will impersonate you via text and is directly involved in not one selfie being taken, but two. He may be deranged, but he's able to function. I guess I see in that way some parallels to Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw 2, though Art never speaks. In fact, he never makes a sound. And of course, that character, Chop Top, is known for his loquaciousness. Anyway, Art the Clown is indeed 
the Terrifier. So before we open it up to discussion on that, um, I'm just going to tell you about Malignant, and then it'll be a free-for-all. You guys can weigh in on either film, both, and we'll just go from there. But Malignant was released in 2021, uh, directed by James Wan uh, from a screenplay by Kelly Cooper. The film stars Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hassan, and George Young. Logline is, Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are, in fact, terrifying realities. Wan said that when he and his wife Ingrid Bisu cocked up, cooked up, the basic, they didn't, they didn't cock it up. They did a pretty good job. <laughs> they cooked up the basic premise for this movie, um, which Kelly Cooper then turned into a, a final script. Their influences were Dario Argento, and particularly his films uh, Tenebrae, Phenomena, and Trauma, but also the 19th century case of a guy named Edward, Edward Mordecai, who it's a case of dubious authenticity, but it did capture the imagination of many. Um, at the end of the 1800s. It was this medical oddity that inspired one crucial element of this film, according to Ingrid Bisu, who uh, received a story credit for her contribution to the film. Malignant grossed $34 million against a budget of $40 million and received mixed reviews from critics. Coming out during the pandemic probably did the film no favors, as it might be tough for a movie at that budget level to make big bucks on a dual theatrical and HBO Max release. Presumably, if this had come out in 2019, minus HBO, it could have had a more traditional launch, but its cinema score grade from audiences was only a C, with a 59% positive score from audiences pulled by post-track, so maybe it would have had a middling response from mainstream audiences regardless. In any case, reviewer A.A. Dowd of the AV Club gave the film a B, describing it as a zany, psychodramatic creepfest that, here and there, veers into gory action hilarity, as though Pazuzu had taken over the body of a Batman movie. (laughs) I like that a lot. (laughs) Many Mm. critics uh, speculated that the film was self-parody with a straight face, or they wish that it was. It's certainly viewed as a bonkers, over-the-top film, and your degree of appreciation for that is very much a mileage-may-vary proposition. Personally, I want to give James Wan a lot of credit for doing something different here, breaking the mold. It's a great concept and a fun ride, but it is really a mixed bag at the same time. In some ways, I think this is the most technically accomplished, even virtuoso filmmaking of this tournament. But in others, it's a total B-movie with a lot of moments that just feel straight out of 90s direct-to-video fare. Just small things, but tonality, line reads, bad lines to begin with on the page, the bizarre open-plan police bullpen that looks like a set from an old Paul Verhoeven movie. Another example of over-the-top production design is that giant fan in the apparently hidden attic of the main house in the film, which could surely be seen from the outside, but nobody seems to know about. Apparently, the floor of that attic is far from up to code. Why this house would have such strange characteristics is never explained. Why doctors lie to adoptive parents about the birth mother is never explained. Things like that. If that bothers you, you might have problems with this movie. But it is the only slasher in history to utilize parkour that I'm aware of. (laughs) Or to use a regional Hmm. surgical award as the killer's weapon of choice. Gabriel moves like a superhero slasher. The action scenes feel like they're straight out of the Matrix. 
but it's a pretty ridiculous movie. We have an unstoppable killing machine give a police station the Terminator treatment, but then he's instantly far less lethal when he's squaring off against named characters. He could easily kill these two detectives who have been on his trail the whole time, but he just walks out of the police station after killing every unnamed cop in the entire building. Stuff like that. But I'll wrap up by saying the ending is solid, though. It works pretty well. It's probably all I should say about the ending in a non-spoiler discussion. The movie does a really good job of pacing out nuggets of information, so one revelation builds on the last. And I'll say that on a second viewing, I thought a lot of the puzzle pieces fit together pretty nicely. So I think I actually liked it a little bit more in my second watch. Mike, what did you think about Malignant? I will tell you this. I, I've always thought that Juan is a hell of a shooter. Uh, even from his early films, I'm like, God, this this guy can really frame a shot, move the camera. He's a very, very talented director. And this one is, I will give it big points for breaking out of the kind of conjuring verse mold. And I'm not beating up on those movies. Just so much as th- this is like a fard weirder goyer movie than I, I almost all that entire run of films, you know? Uh, so, you know, the idea being that just like, let, let's do something really different. And it's still story wise. It's still prey to like some beats that don't quite line up and tonal stuff. That's a little weird. And yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, uh, this might sound straight away. It, it is exactly like the kind of movie where, if you hated it, I would understand why you hate it. If you love it, I would understand you love it. And if you have a big screen, I, I, and this is kind of a non-statement basically, but it's like I, I almost any point of view on this film makes total sense to me. Whereas like if you're like, yeah, I watched The Exorcist. I thought it was garbage. I'd be like, what the f- – what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Um, it is interesting. Like uh, my daughter's – like almost immediately like texted me and they're just like, dad, have you seen the, <laughs> they loved it. And uh, I, I liked, I appreciated, I could see the giallo influence, which I always appreciate. And I certainly liked our villain. Uh, watching Gabriel move around was a lot of fun watching him fight. And I will give it big points for, uh, at the very end of that police fight, he, lobs a chair like all the way across like this this warehouse sized room and bean someone with it and that made me laugh out loud um i always i mean i you know in in all likelihood it was at least partially cgi but i i I always appreciate when people lob furniture at each other from great lengths and heights uh i i think that kind of thing should appear in every film that one (laughs) <laughs> but but yeah, it, it is like it's almost the epitome of a mixed bag of a movie. Totally idea wise, you know, there's some stuff that that's in there that's that's really kind of fun and gory and kooky and clever. And in its best moments, it reminds me of Basket Case. And uh, in 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 that sense, I'm just like, okay, n- now I'm watching something that's a lot of fun. But we also have. This might sound odd, but the, I found the sets to be deeply distracting. You mentioned that f- that giant fan in the attic, but it's consistent throughout. It's uh, mm-hmm. these two people uh, are central couple or like lower income, you know, and they have this gigantic house. Uh, I like how it's shot around there, but it but it feels like they live in this house just so we have a giant house that the camera can kind of roam, roam around in. 
It feels like a set. And especially the jail cell at the end where Gabriel goes nuts uh, looks as set as set gets. Uh, It it looks like something that we would have been shooting in in film school, really. (laughs) Uh, And and I found that distracting because I'm like, you know, I mean, Juan is such a pro. I mean, he's got to know, right? So, I mean, is this a choice? And if so, what are we getting out of this choice? But yeah, so I and yeah, there, there's there's some hackney choices story wise. You know, the moment anyone like finds an old VHS tape and starts watching it, and it's like a birthday party, a, ch- a child's birthday party, I'm <laughs> yes. just like, oh no, yes. oh no, don't do that, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't do that, please. Um, totally. But I like none of this stuff is like super deadly, and I. I can definitely see why the movie has fans and it is like a movie that like I got to the end of it. I'm, I'm glad that I had watched it. Uh, I really dug the fact that the, we have a sequence that takes place and apparently this underground say that actually exists in Seattle. Yes, it does. I got paid, paved over and there's like a, a city down there and you know, we're drawing on real life, creepy situations is you know it's funny like a second ago i was bitching about the sets and i'm just like well it was a really cool set but <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it that that set did stand out for me for multiple reasons but uh i felt like the actors didn't 100 percent know exactly what movie they were in and what they were doing from one scene to the next in the sense that they're consistently like a little dry a little reserved like they they don't want to like make super big choices like we even have like the sister character who's meant to be comedic relief and even she's like kind of muted uh like another character has to point out the fact that she's dressed like a birthday party princess like uh you know it's it's weird like everyone is like kind of really dialed down um you know the detective the kind of nerdy girl who likes him. Uh, everyone was kind of like muted in this this, this odd way that, again, it, it isn't like a frosty weirdness like you see in like a Verhoeven movie. It's it's more in like a I I don't know what movie I'm in, so I'm just gonna like just say my lines and hope it comes together and and edit. And if they need me to come back to redo it, then fine. <laughs> it's like fine. yeah, <laughs> which speaks to the tonal in- insecurity about the tone that they should be hitting, right? Yeah, and the lead, uh, she she spends the entire movie in such a high degree of dudgeon. Like, there, there's no scene in this movie in which she isn't fraught to some degree. So, I mean, outside of, like, you know, probably, like, the very first scene in the movie before she gets her ass kicked by her husband, or viciously, you know, and, and again, it's like we, we have these broad choices, like, uh, you know, that we, we want the husband to be like an evil, abusive guy. So he just starts beating up on her, like out of nowhere for no reason. Yeah. Uh, very much unprovoked. Like there's not even the, like the whoops, I, I dropped your pork sandwich. You know, there's, there's no right. catalyst yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. We, we don't even have the God damn it! You burned my dinner. Kind of, uh, you know, if we're gonna go for a hackney thing, it's just like she turns you, off uh, the the MMA. <laughs> yeah, uh, like a, a abusive guy is abusive. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like that, that's like exactly the level that we're working at in terms of character development. But uh, yeah, our, our protagonist is like she's also like because there's no um, there's almost no scene in this in which she isn't like frightened or terrified or sad or upset so uh, like weirdly enough it becomes like this monotony it, even though it's at a higher 
emotional range it's still monotony when like when everything is red then you get sick of looking at red and uh by the end of the movie she's like er she makes this big declaration and i'm like uh, okay i guess so you know uh sarah sarah connor she's not um <laughs> she's know. like she's like lithgow in nightmare on Twenty Thousand feet <laughs> yeah, I, I, like that's kind of how she plays the whole thing yeah the thing is like uh, you know i it's kind of like uh, as as much as I can find joys in the Human Centipede movies, the third one wore on me because the direction to Tom, to Tom Leiser was basically just to bellow throughout the entire movie, and so like every line is cranked up all the way to eleven. And after after like about twenty minutes of that, yeah, like you just get sick of it, you know. And it's it's like I felt like that's where we were with this protagonist. I had a hard time connecting with her. I had, I had a hard time like seeing her really even as a human being, like she was as much of a character as that prison cell was like an actual prison cell, you know, um, she's like at no point in time did I stop seeing her as an actress. Here, here's my way in on this movie. It feels like a gonzo, an attempt to make a gonzo movie by non gonzo people. Mm -hmm. I think to make a movie of this type, you need to be Henan Lauder or Toby Hooper or you know someone who's a, a little fucked in the head, does a little too much drugs, comes from like kind of a kooky background, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, you need that that little that little flame of madness, and that's why this you know to you know not to be insulting, this feels like the hot topic version thereof. Um, <laughs> and so, I so I, I on the one hand, it's like points for effort. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I appreciate a movie that's trying to be weirder than trying to not be weird, you know. And so it's like when when it does hit, it does hit. But at the same time, like I, it felt like the whole movie was trying to figure out exactly what it was while it was being rolled out in front of me. So, you know, it's, that, a, it's not a, it's not a weird movie. It's a movie that's trying to be weird. Which kind of lends so, itself to the fabrication of the sets. You know, everything is so artificially what it's trying to be. Yeah, that's kind of the thing is you can look at Argento movies and look and you can borrow the external stuff like the lighting, you know, the weird choices, the the black left killers. You can I, I've seen a, a lot of versions of people like borrowing the surface level stuff. The only time that it gets really interesting is when Gabriel popped out and goes like full parkour. And, you know, John, like you said, it's like, all right, now we're looking at something I haven't seen before. You know, this, this, this gonzo creature that, and, and by the way, if there's one MVP in this entire movie, it's the stunt performer who's playing Gabriel because, you know, just the movement of that creature is phenomenal. Like uh, whenever the creature, that, that creature comes out, I'm like, oh, oh boy, uh, now I'm watching a movie, it feels like. And everything else is kind of like, you know, we're, we're kind of going through the motions of quote unquote story so we can get to <laughs> Gabriel popping out and giving her a hard time. But, uh, you know, I'll, t I'll, I'll take an uneven movie that's occasionally interesting than a movie that's not interesting ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 again, like I'm not bagging on this movie at all. I, I think that, um, you know, if someone was just like, Mike, should I watch Mulligan? I would say, yes, you should. Yes, you should. And I appreciate the fact that, you know, my, my daughters aren't super into horror. And I appreciate the fact that both of them were I was like, Dad, have you seen this movie? Wow. I'm just like, I, if, 
If you like it, then I'm happy for you. If it's brought you happiness and it's a horror movie that's brought you happiness, then, you know, we all win in the end. Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> well, it is kind of ironic and unfortunate that uh, this is the first show that Rich has missed in a long while. And um, most of the movies in this tournament, in some way, my I have fingerprints on. And mm-hmm. he has, like, sole ownership of Malignant and, uh, well, originally it was going to be Final Destination 1. And so, like, of all movies, I would love to to get Rich to tell us, you know, what he thinks about Malignant. I did invite him. He's super busy um, making a documentary, is it, Vic? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Thank you. But in any event, someday we'll we'll hear why, um, how he feels about it. But, Vic, I have no idea how you feel about this movie. So, And I really can't even guess. Um, wait, let me guess just for fun because we've been doing this a long time. Let me see. <laughs> I'm, I'm puzzling this out. All right, Vic, I think, I think, and you're going to just change your opinion to be, to disagree with me. No, just kidding. No, I, of, I, of course, of course. I, I fully <laughs> anticipate being contrarian to whatever you say here. I actually make two sets of notes, one positive, one negative, and I can go either way. So you do your thing. <laughs> That's funny. Vic's opinion of, of this film is very much like the protagonist of this film. Yes, exactly. I was about to say. Go back ways, whichever way you want. And and like, yeah, yeah, what this is as Mike said, you know, this is a movie that I completely understand if somebody loves, and I completely understand if you pick it to pieces. And I, I can see the arguments for both. So yeah, this was this was a bad one for me to try to guess uh, what Vic thinks. I'm gonna say I, I'm gonna try to be a little bit daring and not say that you just agree with what Mike said completely. I'm gonna say you're even a little colder to this movie. Am I right? That's your that's your bold statement. I'm a little colder <laughs> to the to the movie. <laughs> You sure okay. you sure you sure done that's 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 a okay. that's a risky bet, man. Okay, you hate it. You hate it. All right, fine. You got me. <laughs> you don't like it. You got me. John, I did not really like this movie. It took me three times, three tries to finish it. Uh and it did the the, the third act is the uh I, I think the strongest part of the movie. But uh and actually and I like the opening. I will say that as well. But I think this is a, this is a terrible script. I agree that that Juan is a good director. Like I, there's an overhead shot in this that is spectacular, and I think he does a good job of drawing out suspense in some scenes. But there's a there's a death scene in here that goes on forever. Uh, meaning the I shouldn't say death scene because it's not the actual death that goes on forever, but the the build up to a person dying just goes it's like they're like walking through the house and you're waiting and then they find the thing and then you're still waiting and then they go to bed and you're still waiting right and then they wake up (laughs) and it's like i'm like looking at my watch i'm like it's been 10 minutes i've been watching this asshole prance around his house like with nothing happening um and yeah i like, I agree that I see the gonzo things that work in this. I also agree I didn't particularly care for any of the performances. I think the way that it's 
filmed is very disingenuous. Like it's it, it, it the movie is trying very hard to draw your conclusions in one direction, which feels very much like they want you to think of this as a, a traditional slasher film so that they reveal that this is not a traditional slasher film, you know, has more punch, but it just felt disingenuous. It was like, Oh, like I can't trust the camera that's telling me this. I can't, I can't believe in the world that James Wan is creating for me. I did really like the notion that Gabriel can only talk through electronics, through radios and phones and things. I thought that was, I just thought that worked. But the last note I have in here is this movie is silly. And it is. I have a few more observations I want to share. Most of them negative, but, it, you know, hey, it's a mixed bag because that's what this movie is. The main theme is an orchestral cover of the Pixies' Where Is My Mind? I dig it, but I found it a little distracting because the first couple times I'm trying to place it, and then the next time I'm like, are they going to go any farther and acknowledge that it's the same song, like with lyrics or something? Uh, they never really do, so it was like just a little distracting, but it's a cool theme, and I'm definitely going to put it on this episode. And it, it does make sense uh, to use with this movie, the idea, where is my mind? You know, it's pretty literal. But anyway, there's some pretty routine elements to, like, the vengeful madman going down his hit list. That's a pretty, you know, conventional part of the story. And equally conventional are the kills. They're pretty unremarkable in their staging and execution. Nothing clever at all um, or particularly cinematic about, about the kills. You know, they're not terrible, but just not, not real impressive. There are some fun little setups with the mythology. The Madison keeps saying, it's all in my head. She's repeating that in, in ways that seem pretty clever when you watch it, you know, more than once. Why the hell did the cops put Madison in a gen pop cell after Gabriel calls them on the phone in Madison's presence. Like what more could possibly exonerate her or at least cast enough doubt on it to not treat her that way. But the story needs her in that cell. So it's contrived to serve the writer's needs. It does turn into a classic scene. It actually, you know, the believability or not of the set, which at this point, yeah, so many of these sets are not believable. That is my favorite scene in the whole movie. I just think it's absurd that our two detectives tear up for this instant beatdown. Uh, and, and then after that, I mean, it, it turns into a, a really cool sequence. And I, I found the police station massacre, though it was a very kinetic sequence, and I like, I really, as Mike said, I really like watching Gabriel work. I like the way he moves. I like the way he fights. It's, it's pretty awesome. But things just kind of turn laughable there. And I can't really go into it. I've already sort of alluded to the kind of hero armor parts of it. That's definitely um, something that bothers me. Here's something else. Sydney, the sister, who I also felt was wasted. She could have been more charismatic and funnier. And she's got a little bit of charm. But yeah, the movie doesn't really know what to do with her. And she doesn't know how to play it. But she goes to this remote abandoned hospital. Absolutely nothing happens there except she recovers a videotape to watch back home with mom a minute later. 
and that, yeah, provides some key exposition, but man, not even a jump scare in the giant cobweb-infested hospital on a cliff, like a crazy patient come back to lurk around there as a squatter. I mean, that's bad, but anything, it's just, it's so funny. Like, she drives all the way up there. We build up the location. We go in there. She collects the videotape and goes home. Something's missing. <laughs> okay, here's my last comment is, I, I like this line. I laughed out loud. They show the sketch of Gabriel, and uh, one of the cops goes, you want me to put a bolo out on Sloth from the Goonies? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay, any other thoughts on Malignant before we double back to Terrifier? Now... I think uh, we, we have covered my thoughts and feelings on the subject. <laughs> Excellent. Vic? Yeah. it's uh, You know what? This is the one thing that I would say is just that there is a part of me that respects that, that James Wan coming off of uh, Fast and the Furious 10 and Aquaman decided like this was the movie he wanted to make. You know, like it's, I, it's, I, I don't want to come off as like I'm shitting on James Wan, even though I think on this podcast we routinely shit on on James Wan, and then we talked about The Conjuring, we talked about Insidious. Like, yeah, you know, it. Uh, those I, two movies didn't go so far in our haunted house uh, tournament. No, they did not. Yeah, and and I suspect this film is not going to go too far in our slasher tournament, but it's a it's a different entry. And I just think it says something like there's no, you know, when Christopher Nolan had this kind of cachet, like he went and made Interstellar. Hmm. And this is like, he was like, I don't want Matthew McConaughey. I don't want $200 million. Like give me Annabelle Wallace and $30 million. Cause I've got this crazy fucking idea that I want to, that I just want to do. And so this look like the, let James Wan keep making these swings and someday he'll hit a home run. This ain't it. But I think he's. I think his his he's in the right. He's in the he's in the ballpark. For props to him. You know, he, he gets to like James Wan. You have turned in like two one billion dollar movies in a row. What would you like to do now? Well, let me talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so I I can appreciate the existence of Malignant for that reason alone. Guys, guys like us should be applauding him for, for making that decision with, with the power when he has it. And I'm glad that we are. I'm glad we ended on that. I will say that I happened to watch this on HBO, and there were like two two-minute, uh, well, that's because it's, you know, that's where it premiered, but also it's back on HBO now. But there's like two-minute behind-the-scenes kinds of things with it. And both of them, like, have James Wan talking, and it's really apparent Like he's the point that he's conveying to the audience is, yeah, I really, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting, but it's like, I really wanted to do something that was completely outside of the box as far as conjuring universe and insidious. And I was willing to take a chance on something completely different that might not be as well received. And I I actually got the feeling he was basically setting himself up for disappointment that he didn't really believe he wasn't confident that people were going to love this, but he just was like kind of stubbornly defending where it was coming from. And I do respect that impulse that it was coming from, 
I could do anything. I'm doing something a little crazy here. Hopefully you'll bear with me um, and enjoy it. And I do, I do respect the leap that he made. And I think that this movie will probably age pretty well. Like I could see 10 years from now, people still remembering it in a way that a lot of films are forgotten because it's yeah, fucking batshit nuts. I agree with that. And I would say broadly, generally human experience lead speaking, uh, I would rather watch a filmmaker push outside their own envelope and stumble a little bit for having done so than to, you know, cookie cutter their way through a successful career and go there to deathbed. And Aaron's like, yeah, he, all of his movies are fine. I guess, you know, it's like, I, I think that, yeah, I, in, in order to take chances, you have to, be you have you have to have some imperfections and that that's that's just the artistic process it's just fine i hate to use a sports metaphor but he it was a big swing you know he was just going for the grand slam and if he had hit it out of the park it would be unbelievable but i appreciate going for it what what sport is that um it's soccer what sport Oh, Ice okay. hockey. Okay. All right, I got you. Okay. All right. I'm not a sports guy. <laughs> Well, we've had nice things to say about James Wan. Uh, let's talk about the filmmaker he's up against here, Damien Leon, Terrifier, Double and Back. Um, I'm going to predict that Vic likes this movie, but is really disturbed by it and feels dirty about it. John, you're you're mostly wrong on that count. I think. Oh, good. Uh, I want to say as a as a follower on the social medias of various horror boards, lots of people have talked about this movie enough that I think I was a little intimidated by it. So I hadn't seen it until it came up on this podcast list and I was putting it off. And so when it finally got going, I was kind of like, oh, like, well, this is, you know, it's, it's violent, but it's not, you know, this isn't a Serbian film. This isn't you know, the human centipede too. And so I, from that respect, I sort of settled into it in a way that I, that I wasn't expecting to. Oh, so you were but prepared was, to have the reaction that I just said you would have, but then yeah. because you were so prepared, it didn't happen. Good. It didn't happen. <laughs> um, I will say, as I think anyone who sees this movie must, that David Howard Thornton's performance as Art the Clown is brilliant. It's iconic. It's the stuff that, that, horror legends are made of like yeah. he should be alongside Kane Hodder and Robert England. The, the rest of the movie I think doesn't necessarily support that. And I don't think it's, you know, it's like it, I'm not sure he's ever going to get there, but his performance is fantastic. Uh, especially to have no dialogue to work with. That's not a, a that's not exactly unusual in a horror film. But he has to do a lot more acting than Nick Castle did as Michael Myers, for instance. So, no, he's he's wonderful. And Art the Clown is a fantastic creation. I wish the script had a better support system around him. I had two major problems with the, the script. The first is there were just it's, – it's such a cliché. There were entirely too many instances. I mean, I think five is the number I counted of someone either hitting or stabbing art and then running away. 
and leaving the, you know, they could have just stabbed him five times and the movie would be over, but instead they stab him once and they leave the knife in his back and they run away. That happened over and over again. And as a horror fan, like, you just can't do that. Like, I'm like I'm on the lookout for that kind of bullshit. And maybe you can get away with it once. Like, I can buy characters being swept up in the moment and not being able to do it. But you can't do it three times or four times. Like, that's just, I don't know. That's asking too much of me to suspend my disbelief for that. And then, John, I don't, I don't know if you're going to yell at me about this or not. But the script pulls a switcheroo at the second plot point that I think Leon thinks is like psycho and it doesn't work. This is essentially a movie without a protagonist. It's a movie with no character in whom I have a rooting interest. And so it really is art, the clown's show. And that's, Look, like if you're going to hang a movie on your bad guy, he's a hell of a bad guy to do it on. But it would be so much better if I gave more of a shit about the people that are being stalked uh, and if I believed in their responses to being stalked. I, I kind of applaud him for at least trying to fuck with the structure in a way that is different and new. And I don't think I've ever seen this before, but it doesn't work. So like it's yeah okay I see I see what you're going for there's a reason nobody's done it up till now and it and it just it just didn't fly I, this is a this is a half and halfer for me well I have some opinions about that but I'm interested to know Mike do you have a response to that like protagonist and character dynamics question specifically first off well I I think that character work is uh, deeply secondary to this project's existence. Before we even got on our baseball-themed <laughs> metaphors and humor, I, the entire time I was watching this movie, I was thinking, this is a fastball down the middle of a movie. Uh, because I, in terms of our setup, it's we have a psycho who dresses like a clown, goes around, does clown stuff, and hacks you into pieces if he catches you. And that's such a like core basic obvious slasher setup that you immediately think, Oh, well there's gotta be thousands of those. Right. But let's really sit down and think, are there thousands of those? And I'm not talking about penny. I, and you, you can include Pennywise, but Pennywise is a supernatural creature. Spoiler alert. You know, if, if it's just a psycho dresses like a clown goes around, if he catches you, he hacks you up. How many really are those? I mean, as obvious of a setup as, as that is, like I was sitting there going, uh, maybe this one, maybe that, nah, nah. And so if you're, if you're going to be like, you know, what's the most like fastball down the middle, like watch a slasher movie that's somewhat newer with friends. Uh, and it's like this very like core basic, like meat and potatoes. Let's make a slasher movie kids kind of a setup. Dude dresses like a clown. We know nothing about him. Goes around if he catches you, you hack him up. Then yeah, you're watching this movie first. I mean, it's it's almost in a weird kind of a way. Even though it feels like a, a setup that's like 40 years old, it's like yeah, this this is basically like the er version of that story, or at least like the best representation of it. But at the same time, it's like 
I, I think it's more of a vehicle for effects and makeup and gore. Uh, I, I noticed that the filmmaker is more of an effect. His background is in that. And so he's playing to his strengths. You know, uh, he's looking for opportunities to put characters into like gory stuff. You know, like the faceless girl in the interview and stuff like that. And, you know, her, the, her ambushing the newswoman uh, and, you know, the, you know, the girl getting sawed in half, stuff like that. It's like th- this is like in the script's wheelhouse. It is playing to the strengths. So, I mean, is the script Tarantino? Is it Mamet? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think it wants to be or it has to be. Uh, like I, the whole time I was watching it, I'm just like I was thinking this would kill at like a midnight screening at a horror festival. Like mm-hmm. when when you have a room full of like people who like show up to watch a dude in a clown outfit hack up people, then you're all set. And like at, even the minute they get to that warehouse, I thought, oh, we're staying in this warehouse because <laughs> 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 it, it's exactly that budget level, right? So it's like I, we're gonna go various places. In the warehouse, we have an alley, we have a basement, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's like, you know, the only time we we, we actually go outside is uh, we have the street, we have the pizza parlor. And I do like that. Uh, like you pointed out, there are like multi- multiple times that there are selfies involved. It, it, it seems self-aware to that extent, and so does Art the Clown. And, I, you know, this movie is actually like weirdly summed up in like its first minute. Where it's we have a scratchy TV giving a news report about a massacre that happened like a year ago, and we intercut that with Arthur Clown like throwing implements of torture and murder into a garbage bag, and then that's it. <laughs> it's like that he he picks up the bag, he walks out the door, and that's your movie. And it's like if you don't know what the movie is going to be from that first minute, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's like <laughs> I, if, if if you watch that and you're expecting Wuthering Heights. <laughs> that, that opening that opening actually reminded me of the opening for Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I, yes, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, that that's kind of the thing is uh, it, it's 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 very much a film by and for people who love horror. So it's not it's not even striving to connect. The reason that the character and dialogue work is at a you know certain level is because it's not striving to do to talk about the human experience, like say the shining or the exorcist or like our, our truly classic brilliant horror movies where you can take away the horror element and still have a movie or a story to tell. This is like you're showing up to watch a dude dress as a clown, hack up people with murder weapons. They carries around in a hefty garbage bag. Right. So, and uh, and yeah, I, you know, the, the weirdest part is John, you're absolutely right. The MVP of, of, the movie is the guy playing Arthur Clown. Uh, you know, he doesn't have dialogue, so he's got to use his physicality. And you know, the script weirdly finds different things for him to do, like when he has like his little mommy issues moment with the crazy lady from the alley. You know, he kind of goose around with the girls. Uh, he's got sinister business, la 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 la. But you know, that's what this movie is. And and there is like a very slight indication of a potential supernatural element at the very, very end. And I didn't know if that was meant to be, I don't know how 
are we avoiding spoilers? We are avoiding spoilers. Yes. Is is there such a thing as a spoiler with this movie? (laughs) 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 Just tread lightly because maybe there's somebody that, that is like, Oh my God, I can't wait to see this movie, but we don't want them to turn off the podcast right now. Don't worry. We're not going to ruin it for you. We can say that terrifier two is set to come out this year. Mm. Yes. Yeah. If it, you know, I mean, that's, um, it's exactly, yeah, it. it's not trying or pretending to be anything except exactly what it's trying to do. It, mm-hmm. it's, it knows exactly what it's trying to deliver. And I would have to say, uh, this isn't quite a spoiler, but points for the fact that this movie plugs into the very small sub 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 genre of slasher movies in which the killer will wield a gun. We do mm-hmm. have a scene where Art just gets frustrated and just yanks out a, gun, a pistol and just blows someone away. And it's a great um, surprise. <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, the slasher movie, I mean, it's it's not called a banger movie. You know, it's like uh, you know, generally these these characters avoid anything mm-hmm. but melee weapons. But uh, you know, the very short. You know, uh, we're talking about Maniac, the original, uh, where he blows off Tom Savini's head. We're talking about the, the Prowler has a uh, Mad Max-style sawed-off shotgun. The Collector uses an AR-15 in, in the collection. And uh, you got this movie, where he pulls a pistol out of that, that hefty bag of weapons. Uh, maybe I'm missing something, but yeah, we're dealing these guys avoid firearms. Absolutely. Oh, uh, Summer of Sam. Summer of Sam. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, uh, refresh my memory, uh, does the killer in the town of Dread Sundown, does he use a gun at all? I think he uses a gun he to does. keep people from running away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's okay. not his like, main weapon, but he does, uh, he, he's not opposed to it, yeah, for kind, those reasons. Kind of the same way as Zodiac, mm-hmm. and given the fact that Zodiac and Town of Dread Sundown are both based on true stories, right. as is Summer of Sam. So out of our six movies in which a killer uses a firearm, three of them are based on true stories. So, you know, I think that tells you something, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, usually slasher movies are independent of, as we define them for the purposes of the show, like they're fictional creations. And for whatever reason, filmmakers tend to avoid giving slashers that weapon. And so it's, it, it is a, a big decision and a surprising one, the way it plays out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I wanted to Thanks. address Vic's point directly, and I think this all ties back of into... You, of course you did, John. Yeah, you're you damn right. I've been chomping yeah. at the bit, man. <laughs> Waiting to tell me what an asshole I am. Well, go ahead and give it to me. Well, Vic, you know, maybe I'm playing devil's advocate here, but when I heard that there was going to be a sequel and I heard that <laughs> this guy had felt that the criticism about not having a strong enough final girl and he put in what apparently like I haven't seen obviously the movie's not out yet when maybe when you listen to this not the first time but you know down the road people will listen to this and and know whether or not I'm right or wrong but my worst fear about that movie is that it's conventional. And what will make me cringe when I watch Terrifier 2 is that we have lip service to the same old character arcs and the same 
plucky woman who has gone through this and that and she comes into it damaged or she comes into it too sheltered. There's two paths, you know, the bookish girl with no boyfriend or the, you know, the damaged person or whatever it is. And we just give it another C minus character arc bullshit. And you, you turn terrifier into just another goddamn slasher movie. And so I, I say it's a benefit at the end of the day that this movie original terrifier does not fuck around with any of that shit. And it makes it more unpredictable and more disturbing the way it handles its characters. And you definitely don't feel like anybody's safe. And you definitely don't feel like anybody's in the midst of a character arc. And personally, I think it makes it more disturbing, more unpredictable, more anarchic. And one, definitely one of the things I love about the movie is that we don't have a half-assed protagonist story attached to this. And... I don't know, like very few slasher movies actually do it right. So you're like, oh yeah, and I love this protagonist, like Stretch in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. That is not the rule. That's the exception to the rule. Normally, they're kind of, the treatment of these things is kind of ham-handed and it basically ends up being not memorable or value-added. I love that this movie, as, as Mike said, is just so stripped down. It's just delivering the goods. You know, horrible, scary, tense, surprising, unsettling stuff. And the way it treats its characters is just a part of that strategy. And I also think, though, that even though they don't really have much to go on, I think the actresses do a really actor's do a really good job of feeling like real people. And I, I was rooting for them. I didn't think that they were, you know, just, you know, uh, cattle waiting in the pen for the, at the slaughterhouse. Uh, you know, I, I thought there was enough there in their, di- their relationships and their their dialogue and their personalities and the way they handled stuff to you know feel enough invested in them like to be horrified when bad things happen and that's what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. The, the first two girls, especially uh, on some level, they're very common versions of characters that we see because you know the blonde girl is. You know, she's a little more wild. She's a little more fun. She's a little more daring. That's that, that. You know, she's silly. She's drunk. You know, the brunette friend is more serious. She's like, oh, watch out for that guy. You know, don't do that. You know, la la la. But I've, I they they weren't so clumsily created that like uh, you know, the the actors in the actresses in, in both their situations uh, found enough cool stuff to happen. Like I, I ended up liking both of them in, in a movie where their job is to just get hacked up by a clown it's like the uh the actresses found enough to uh you know in in their screen time having to like oh no <laughs> they're getting hacked up by a clown <laughs> yeah yeah vic do you have any response to that specifically you would you okay assuming let's say for the sake of argument that we weren't going to get laurie strode or stretch or some classic heroine or hero whatever you know gender they went with 
barring that, you would you rather have like a mediocre to below average kind of but stock like fill the expectations of how we need to have um, character development and character arc, you know, or yeah, just tell me how, what's your reaction to that. My initial reaction, John, is that you have a small penis. <laughs> I, I knew that was coming. Somehow. That's my, that's Something my gut like that. reaction to everything <laughs> you just said is that, that you, anyways, micro penis, I think is a medical term, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. No, that, was, that, was a, that was a personal attack, and that was not okay. And I'm sorry. Stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly the kind of thing I tell my kids not to do. And I'm sorry. <laughs> my reaction would be is that sort of first off, like your initial caveat is assuming that we can't have a good protagonist. Would you rather have a bad protagonist or no protagonist? Well, the nuance that I'm going for there, Vic, is like, yeah, I would, I agree with you. If we could have one of the top five best, absolutely great. Yeah, that would make the movie better. Okay. But if it was going to be the other 95% of these movies where they sort of do lip service or they try, but it's ultimately, you know, mediocre at best. That's the, that's the question. So I, I'm agreeing yeah. with you. If the choice is, can we have Jamie Lee Curtis? I'm with you. I'm with you. But like assuming yeah. that you just can't roll out of bed and do that in any movie, no matter how hard you try, that the odds are we're probably going to get something, you know, iffy at best, no, nothing special. So that's why I pose it that well, way. What I will say is, I, and you'll notice this, like I acknowledge the fact that the filmmakers was doing something different with the structure than I'd really ever seen before. And so to, to that extent, I applaud that. I believe that the fear that we feel watching horror films is fear for the characters and that the characters have to conduct that fear to us. And so the more, I can identify with those characters. The more invested I am in those characters, the greater the fear I feel for them is. And so some characters conduct that fear better, right? Like it's why like super cop doesn't make a great uh, protagonist in a horror film, right? I can't identify with that person, but the babysitter that's home alone at night uh, you know, that's probably very close to where I'm watching it. I mean, that's why suburban horror works so well, whatever. You find these ways in that you that you find ways to identify with the people. And so there are, within the, within the, the scope of what the filmmakers have given us in this, right, there's stuff that we identify with. Like Mike was saying, I get the, I get the party girl, I get the, the more reserved sort of responsible girl or whatever. Those, those broad sketches work but only on a surface level. And so the, as much as I love art, the clown as an antagonist, and as much as I admire the filmmaking in terms of some of the suspense sequences, as much as I admire the makeup work and the violence and the, 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 the things that he's doing, that visceral reaction that I get to those moments is very surface level compared to, and this just popped into my head. So it's not an apples to apples comparison, but compared to something like the descent, right? 
where I'm very invested in the characters. I'm invested in their relationships. I care about what happens to them. I'm much more frightened for them than I am for anyone in uh, in Terrifier. And I don't again. You he's doing something different. Like I understand that that's what he's doing. We just finished talking about Malignant as someone who was swinging for the fences. And maybe not, you know, maybe not, not, you know, wound up having a, a wonky foul ball. This feels more like a bun, right? Like, I want a clown killing people. I'm going to tear a chicken half. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all this, you know, the, the like you said, I'm going to steer toward my strengths. Um, but this is not a filmmaker outside of his of his box. This is not a filmmaker pushing the limits, aside from the fact that he's saying, what if we just don't have a protagonist that anybody gives a shit about? That's a thing, right? That's a that's a thing. That's something that we haven't really seen before. Again, structurally, I've never seen a film like this. I've never seen a film do what this film does at the second plot point. Uh, and so I, to an extent, I admire that, but it doesn't involve me emotionally. I think a bunt is a very conservative thing. This is not a conservative movie by any definition. I think it's, maybe it's not a grand slam. Maybe it's not a Homer, but at worst it's a triple where, you know, he knew what he was doing. He needed three runs to score. He just hit it hard as hell without looking back it flew right up against the wall and he scored those runs and he's like that's it i did what i wanted to do he kicked a field goal and he made the basket in the fifth quarter <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> it was we've a push we've pushed this sports metaphor as far as we possibly it was a par four hole man and he did it in three until we start involving obscure Olympic sports, we are not even done. Where's the curling reference? Come on. Yeah, that's what I was about to make that joke, John. Maybe <laughs> do it. But, uh, yes. The characters are there to get killed. And if there is any one, like, like, okay, I've never seen that before. Like, the two, like, kind of jerseyist kind of kind of guys who run the pizza parlor. Like, you, you don't often see those guys as victims in slasher movies. You know, so... Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I I am appreciative of the fact that Art took the time to uh, go in there and shit on the wall and draw <laughs> his name and shit yes. on the wall. Uh, it tells us that this is a character of of just pure malevolence, in a way that like you know Michael Myers never got fucking yeah. gross like that. Like he, he he even when he eats a dog, it's only because he got hungry. Like he's not like you know these you know sometimes right. killers will will you know fuck with you quote unquote like you know jigsaw his entire thing is 99 percent of his mo is fucking with you right freddie his entire thing is about fucking with you right but none of them ever shit in the washroom of a public <laughs> restaurant and their name and the feces on the wall i mean that takes a truly depraved mind apparently he does I that i actually i saw it um he does that in the previous movie like it's 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 alluded to there that he used a gas station rest, uh, restroom and did that i yeah. love that that's an aspect of his mo <laughs> yeah the, there, it, I, and and the fact that i you know I, I do find it charming that um he doesn't have like a specific like a machete or claw or a kitchen knife or chainsaw he just drags around this and not, not even like a cool sack like it's a leather thing <laughs> right. with like a cool clown insignia on it it's just a hefty trash bag i mean there's something like so low rent and 
you know, dare I say white trash about like the character. Um, okay. Yeah. Just yeah. to sum it up, whatever he, the guy does in the sequel, if he compromises like the things that make the, the purity of this film and tries to go mainstream, that will annoy yeah. me. I'm sorry, more than any kind of fuck ups with logic or continuity. And I have them and I'm not, I'm going to save them. Cause I think we talked about this too long already, but it bothered me, you know, that the door to this place is always locked. Like, I guess art just goes and locks the door as soon as anyone new comes in. And then if someone new comes, like he'll unlock it for them. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but I don't care. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. But do not turn this into more of a gee. I, I hope the normies like it. Kind of a kind of a movie because then right, you, right. you've yeah, lost I, me. I, you've lost me. Yeah. So if if the critique is like we don't see enough character stuff, and the response is all right. Well, in order to do character stuff, I'm going to just like go to the script store and buy slasher movie character kit. And then take it home and unwrap it, and it's like you know, oh, you know, and we have a like a babysitter, and we're like checking off like standard boxes. Your boyfriend stands her up, blah blah blah. You know, just the usual horseshit. It's like no, no, no. I, I do. I take what you're already doing well, which is the gore stuff, uh, the violence, the, the 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 bleakness of it, and turn into that. Let let let's get fucking weird. Let's get trauma. Let's get fucking nuts. I mean, you know, I, I and mean, again, it's like you know the strongest aspects of the movie that we're just talking about, *Malignant*. I mean, this is uh, a, you know, it, it's up against a movie that is, ironically enough, made more by normies, but they're trying to be weird. And this movie is just like it, it's it's again, it's like a fastball down the middle. It's like. If you want to hang around at like a Fango festival and watch a movie about a clown hacking up girls, then yeah, I mean that's there's there's no other movie that you should be watching. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I agree with Vic in the sense that if it came down to a vote between this film and this, the Descent, which I think is one of the three best horror movies of the last twenty five years, the Descent yeah. has my vote absolutely. But mm-hmm. most films can't get in the ballpark of the descent and knowing that if you just don't try and you go another way and you play to your strengths i don't i don't know like yeah you you, mike said like this isn't a david mamet script i i like this 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 filmmaker i i don't know that i see david mamet in his range of outcomes so maybe just don't try to be david mamet because i don't i don't think that's going to be in your wheelhouse bud so, anyway, let's vote on it. Um, I am definitely of the opinion that this is a pretty easy one. I think we're probably all mostly on that 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 train. I think Terrifier for me is a force to be reckoned with in this tournament. It's a horror film with a capital H. No punches pulled. No pretensions. No inhibitions. I'm a fan. Vic, respond to my last diatribe and cast your vote, bud. Yes, like if you approach it from the perspective that you can either have, as I said before, like bad character development or no character development, I applaud taking the decision of no character development because that is at least, or very little, uh, or or again, not having a traditional protagonist. Like I, I, I said this initially, I acknowledge that as something cool that I've not really seen tried before, right? But I reject your thesis that, like, 
it's just not an option that this movie could be as good as The Descent, right? It can. It can be as good as The Descent. Do better. That's how. So okay, I'm also I'm also voting for Terrifier, but it, it yeah, this does make for an interesting pairing in the way that that these movies sort of play off of each other. Mike, boy, this is a really interesting choice, you know, because uh, Malignant, I think, has bigger highs and bigger lows. It gets more Gonzo and. We we have some really cool antics to the fact that's one, and the dude is a stone a super talented guy, a stone cold camera vet. Uh, the way the manner in which it's directed is very very strong. We get some slight gore that's interesting. We get some slight you know giallo stuff that I always like. We get some turns that are like all right. Well, I haven't seen the fucking that since fucking Basket Case, so let's give it that <laughs> you know it's like you know uh, uh malignant is trying to affect a grungy thing but uh, he, here's the thing is both movies are trying to affect they're very affectatious both of them are trying to affect uh a very specific type of movie and um to only varying degrees do i find like an actual creative personality in either of them, if that makes sense. Malignant gives me scenes that I haven't seen in any other movie. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, if we're talking about like, what's the best slasher movie, Terrifier is like very much like kind of a slasher with a capital S it's trying to be exactly that and nothing else. And like I said before, like you, you try to think of like, all right, well, how many murderous clown movies do we have? It's like, oh, you, you would think there, there were thousands, but there actually aren't. And yeah, fuck it out. Let's give it terrifier. You don't have to because, edge. okay. Cause, um, Vic voted for terrifier no, also. So I'm, you, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not swayed by anything that you guys think or say, because I don't care about either, but I, I'm, I'm kind of debating out loud. Um, <laughs> Well, um, Mike, I'm uh, I'm well aware of that. What I was saying was you could throw the vote for Malignant if you wanted to support it, just to give it some love. Uh, well aware of that fact. I mean, if, if it comes down to if I'm having a conversation with the audience who presumably is listening and however couple of dozens as they may exist, um, That's about right. if, the, if the question is... Mike, of these two movies, if the conversation is, what is the best slasher movie? We're trying to figure out. Of these two movies, what is the best, better slasher movie? It would have to be tire, Terrifier because it's trying to be nothing but just a fastball down the middle slasher movie. And you know, it, it's kind of an er-level slasher in that sense. Um, so, yeah. yeah I, I, the, the ter- Terrifier is a movie that would have been brilliant in like 1979 and I think is trying really hard to be brilliant like 30 some odd years later and is more of a set piece for really good gore effects. Uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of, and if we're going to compare it to Fire, Terrifier to the descent, like, you know, I, I spent the entire watch of Terrifier, like appreciating it. Like I'll be like, Ooh, it's getting sawed in half. That's a really good gore effect. 
man, there's I, I like I, I could see the work that has gone into this effect that I'm looking at. I'm appreciating it as a horror filmmaker because I like shit. But in the descent, you know, there seems like you know the protagonist gets stuck in a crack and they can't get her out, and it's like that's just terrifying. Like I'm actually feeling fear from a horribly rather just appreciation of the form. So that's where I lie. <laughs> All right. Well, in any event, the outcome is terrifier advances. I have a weird feeling that we might split up this episode right about here. So let me tell you what's on tap for next time. Sleepaway camp number three in the old school regional going up against Hell Knight, a number 14 seed. And in the meta division, Final Destination, a three seed squares off with the Furies, number 14. Should be interesting. See you next time. Adios. Adios.